Hey everyone, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Asso here. This is episode 52. I interviewed Augie Smith in this episode, and Augie's a really cool guy. He helps run the uh, Montana Big Sky Comedy Festival. I'm sure you guys have heard of it if you're stand up comics. And he travels the country doing stand up comedy as a headliner. And he is the only person to have ever won the Seattle International Comedy Competition and San Francisco International Comedy Competition in the same year. Uh, this is a great conversation about getting into festivals, how to handle competitions, uh, and his own experience running a comedy festival, uh, and much more. Hope you guys enjoy. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. I'm here with Augie Smith. A uh, successful touring mm-hmm. comedian. Comedy legend is okay. Yeah. You can say uh, that. Okay, a comedy if legend. You need to uh, say that. Fine. I, I mean, I wouldn't say it about myself, but if you said <laughs> it of me. The, okay. the, the appropriate title, comedy legend, right. uh, uh, won both the Seattle and San Francisco International Comedy Festivals in the same year. Mm-hmm. You're the only person to do this? Uh, in Are the you? same year, uh, other people have won both. And uh, Dave Crow. Yeah, you must know him. Famous you were Seattle, right? Class, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He won them both in the same calendar. Or, uh, like he won San Francisco, and then the next year he won Seattle. So sort of in the same calendar year. So I you're did the them only back one to, to back the two months, and it's it is a grind. It is a grind. Here's the thing about these comedy contests: uh, Seattle and San Francisco take three weeks. They're three weeks. You're in a different town every night, and you're being judged every night. And the best you do if you win everything is basically break even. That's the best thing yeah. that happens. It is such a grind. After after San Francisco, or after uh, Seattle was over, after the two months were over, I was just exhausted. Those two months? Oh, because both. Yeah. Oh, both yeah. together. Yeah, they both take three three weeks to do, and they both take up the entire months of September and then November. Man, I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Jeez. It's a lot. So I'm, you're going, the I'm hosting the finals of Seattle. I hosted the finals of San Francisco this year, and I'm hosting the finals of Seattle this year. Oh, that's exciting. I like doing that work. Here's what it is. Uh, I embrace my role as the grand old man of comedy. Like, uh, I've done a lot of things wrong. I've done a few things right, but I've done a lot of things wrong. But I still have a great love of the art form. I believe in, you, know, you can talk to all the dinosaurs out there that are walking around talking about what they can't say and how everybody's triggered and political corrupt, blah, blah, blah. Uh, comedy's better than it's ever been, and it continues to get better. It's exponentially getting better. And you can either keep up with that or not keep up with that. You're upset because you can't make certain jokes? Well, write better jokes, man. I still love this oh, art lashing form. back against the uh, the older generation. I, I, I just, well, a, uh, it's just... The rebel. Th- there's this whole <laughs> sort of... Uh, Sub community of comedy of like older that just attacks that other comics now. It's all they do. Well, there is I, probably your generation is mostly a lot of the stigma, right? Of young comedians are like, oh, those old comedians. Right. So you're trying to be like, hip and, and I'm telling you, uh, young comedians, you're doing great. Uh, the stand up is just it's it's better now than it's ever been. Why do you think and, that? And here's the new thing in stand up. Now we have good looking people doing stand up. For years. Comedy was a defense mechanism that you develop because you were an outcast, because you were a weirdo, whatever the, whatever it was. You know, I was a speech team guy. I, but now it's like great-looking people are doing stand-up. And I'm like, how, why would you need a sense of humor? Wait, what, <laughs> why did you have to develop a defense mechanism? Wait, so you think this is better? 
Uh, yeah, I think comedy now. Handsome, is, it, the handsome comedian. Who wouldn't want to see a handsome man? I'd rather see a handsome man That's telling so jokes than an ugly man telling jokes. Well, what do they have? I th- it's the rise of the handsome man. The rise of the handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> so no, but, but in a weird what, way, this isn't progressive at all. <laughs> no. the, the thing is, this is generally what people need to know about me is that I've been making my living at this job uh, since 1992. I've never been a household name. I've never been hugely successful, but I've always paid my bills doing this job. Uh, I know how to do that. I know how to do this job, but I still love it. I still love the idea of writing a bit and performing it in front of people and watching their reaction. I love getting together with comics. I love writing jokes. I love talking about the craft. I love talking about the process. I love talking about every part of it, and I just... I, I just think that if you're going to be in this job, this job is so hard that you have to love it. You can't be bitter about it. There's a lot of guys that are my age that never developed any other skills. And now, I mean, they're going up against YouTubers and Christian comics and a million other people that are mm-hmm. filling clubs and they're not getting work anymore and they're angry about it. But yeah, yeah. You, you can't be angry at them. You got to be angry at you, man. That is interesting because um, a lot of the criticism for those comics is that they're just not funny. They're cheapening the form. Yeah, at, at the in a business sense, all they're doing is filling seats. Right. You put asses in seats. I mean, that's the thing. You get hired in this in this job uh, because of three things: uh, because you're funny, because you're easy to work with, and because you put asses in seats. Now, if you put asses in seats, forget the other two. <laughs> they don't really care about the funny or easy yeah. to work with. It's You'll at least get hired a couple times. You're making the club money and allowing them to exist. And what I would say is that at this point, if you have a YouTube page and you can fill a comedy club and people will hire you, good for you. That's great. Now, if people come out and they decide that you're not funny in person, they won't ever come see you again. That's fine too. That's but business. if you can, that's yeah, that's that's, that, that's exactly how it works. That's the that's the free market right there. Yeah. Is if you're doing the job, people will come back and see you. And if you're turning over your act and if you write new jokes, people will come back and see you. But if they come back and see you four years later and you're doing the exact same act, uh, they're not going to come out and see you a third time. They'll see you. <laughs> they'll come see you a second time. They won't come see you a third time. That's so true. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. You were. In some, you were the uh, the only person to do the uh, do it in one year in a row. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. It was, it was a grind. That's impressive. It was a grind. There was a lot of uh, famous people that came out of those festivals too. Well, and the other thing about it is that I love comedy competitions because even though you're up against the other guys, it builds this great camaraderie and this great community. Uh, some of the best friends I have in stand up I made from doing contests with them in like the mid '90s. I mean, I did. In 97, I did the Seattle contest, and uh, Mitch Hedberg won it. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't know Mitch before then, but then we spent a couple weeks going to these crappy gigs together, and you just you really you really develop a bond. It's, it's very cool that way. That's so, so interesting. So there's so many people that have gotten to know because of this, because how many shows are you on where it's 10 other, 15 other really funny people? You know, if you're doing that, then you're going to an open mic, or sometimes you have book shows in LA, you'll see the same people. But these are people from all over the place. That's so, so cool. It's a unique yeah. way to meet those different people yeah. you wouldn't otherwise meet. Yeah. I get so personally choked up at festivals. Like, if it's my own thing, I'm obviously like way more comfortable. But a festival, or not festival, sorry, competition. Mm-hmm. It's so, how do you balance your nerves with that? Right. That's, That's so the thing. hard. Uh, the judging in a comedy competition has never been fair ever at any competition ever. It doesn't matter who's doing the judging. Somebody gets screwed. It just it just always happens that way. 
Like I've never, it, it's so rare that at the end of the night you see the top five or whatever and you're in complete agreement with that. It just, it, it never happens. And you're putting yourself out there. I mean, comedy is hard enough to put yourself out there. You're burying your soul for people it's super to either laugh right? at or whatever. And now they're literally writing down a number. Like they give them a one through 20 and you write down a number of what essence. I think you were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, and it's, and your whole life is judged on three categories and 20 points apiece or 10 points apiece yeah. or whatever. And, you can, and sometimes you'll get a look at those judges' scores and you'll have to look at them and you'll have to see what they thought that of you hurts. and how they thought that you were the worst comic on a show of 10 people. That you were the worst comic on a show of 10 people. Has that happened to you? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, here was a great one. So uh, I did one of the contests in uh, at San, must have been San Francisco in about two thousand. And the last week is it's the top five go around. You're in a different place every night. And one night we were in this winery, uh, you know, around San Francisco, beautiful little winery. And there's five comics, and I go up last. And the crowd just didn't dig me. They didn't hate me, but they just didn't dig me. There were people that they, they liked everybody way more than me. Fine, okay. So I get off stage and they announce the whole top five. So, like, they announce fifth place, which is last place. So I'm standing there and I'm waiting to get announced fifth place. So they announce fifth place and it's not me. They announce fourth place and it's not me. They announce, and I'm like, oh no, no way. So they announce first place and it's me. And I walk, and I walk out on stage and they started booing me. <laughs> they started booing me because they were so. And it isn't my fault that I won. Oh, because the audience wasn't I for you, the, but the judges yeah, were. The judges, whatever. The judges decided that I was the guy. I don't know why, and they shouldn't have because I didn't have the best set. Not I had the fifth best set out of five people. So these people are booing me. <laughs> it's oh my not God. my. I didn't want to win. I didn't want to win. You know, it, I didn't do anything wrong. So it happens both ways that you get screwed on judging, but then sometimes for whatever reason, you know, you're the guy that screws everybody else. Wow. Yeah. Which in some ways is worse. <laughs> oh my God. Do you have any uh, uh, tips on like how to maintain a good mentality when going into these competitions and being your funniest still? You have to look at it as just, it's a series of, uh, of comedy sets. And I know that that sounds like a very basic thing, but uh, we look at these things as the competition. In your mind, you have to take that out of it. In your mind, you're just doing a show in an opera house, and then you're doing a show in a bar, and then you're doing a show in a casino. And so you're gearing your sets for those places and for your surroundings. Um, like when I watched uh, Hedberg do the competition, you know, whatever, 22 years ago, every night his first joke was something completely in the moment. Every night his first joke was something about the surroundings or the settings or the town or whatever. And every night it was beautiful. And every night people loved that. And so I learned this thing that seems like an easy thing. is like if you can show them something that they know you just wrote, if you can show them something in the moment, that they're so impressed by that. And who wouldn't be? I was impressed by it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just I tried to open all my shows after seeing that with something in the moment. And to this day, I still try to do that. Of like That's so interesting. Whatever, you know, you, you take you take a half hour right before your show and just free freeform all the thoughts That's about so cool. the, the surroundings and what it, the sound system or whatever it may be so you have something to say about it. And the other key is it can't always be negative. Like we, we as comics we have this thing it's like we've got to point like out the thing critical, that isn't yeah. right. Uh, okay, here's another competition story. So I got I made the finals of the Boston Comedy Festival in like 2010, right? 
uh, 2009, something like that. And so the final show had always been in a, in a theater before, but they did it at the uh, Hard Rock this time in their big uh, side room that they'd had all the preliminary shows in. So it's all these people packed, just packed into this place, like uncomfortably packed, and it's hot, and the show started way late. The show started like it, I remember it starting two hours late. It might not have been that much, but it was way late. And so I went up thinking that everybody in the room was having this same experience of how bad this sucked. So my first minute and a half were about how bad this all sucked. And then it turns out nobody else was <laughs> – everybody was fine. It was like only they were all fine. So I just came off like an asshole, like what this guy has eight minutes and he's going to bitch at us for two minutes about the surroundings and how it's too hot and crowded and stuff. And so that was not a good set. But it, it, so that's the other, sometimes you think you're all having the same experience, and you're not. You're not. Sometimes they're just fine. Yeah. Most of the time, they're just fine. Yeah. Most of the time, they want to have a good time. They don't want to have every negative thing around them pointed out by asshole, young, angry guy. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely is like an instinctual thing to just go for the critical yeah. thing. Like we had a, a show at UCLA where we would book a big room that was in sort of almost like a cathedral-esque like Harry Potter kind of space. Okay. It was a pretty cool venue. But everyone, <laughs> a lot of the times, like the big comedians who would do our show would be like, oh, interesting. We're doing um, stand-up in this like haunted ma like sometimes it'd be funny. Like everyone would comment on it and sometimes it'd be like really positive and on the nose and sometimes people would like be bitter about it but like when they're bitter it'd land less than yeah. when it was just like uh, lighthearted in a way. Yeah, I don't want to watch a guy that's not happy to be there. Yeah, I mean it's it's like it's it's an old line of I'm happy to be here, but you gotta let them know that, that you're enjoying yourself. That's so true. Even even if you're a negative, uh, a insulting asshole, there has to be joy in what you're doing. The they have to see that joy. If they don't see, why should they care about it if you don't? Why should they be happy to be there if you're obviously not happy to be there? That's the that's the thing about this job. There's just so many different parts of it like that. Uh, just setting a quick... What we forget sometimes is that we get put in a bad situation or a situation that, we're, that isn't ideal. And all we can think about is all the stuff that it isn't. What we need to remember is that any comedy show we've ever been to, the only place we want to be is on stage, even in the shitty ones. And there's nothing worse than going to somebody else's really good show that you're not on and then you just watch people go up and you watch them like, you know, look at notes or scroll their phone or whatever. And you're back there just hitting yourself in the head like, oh, I would crush this room. Yeah. Just get me on stage. Get me a microphone right now. Stat. And we forget how much we love doing this. So you just need to remind yourself every time you go on stage, it's like, this is awesome. I get to go on stage. I get to speak into a microphone in front of people that are waiting for my words. That's interesting. That's, that's awesome. That's great. I see a lot of um, like really famous comedians not do that, yeah. especially in L.A. Yeah. They're so entitled to yeah. having the best, perfect show. Um, I saw um, uh, Nick Kroll do an hour at uh, he did at UCB. It was like this, eight, just like eight dollars. He just did a pop in hour because he wanted to practice, I guess. Right. And there was literally maybe one open seat. And he, the first thing he says is, he's like, oh, man, like, it's not even, wow, really? I didn't sell out? What? And he was, like, butthurt for, like, five minutes. And it was just like, wow. 
Like, what are you doing right well, now? Well, imagine how great the rest of Nick Kroll's life is. Imagine what his house is in L.A. Imagine how comfortable his surroundings are I know. all the time. And for him just to leave that and go anywhere else, it's just so, it better be awesome. I know, right? His life is perfect. Yeah. He has his TV show, yeah. cartoon, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and he has so a high standard. He has whatever he wants in his domicile. Whatever it, he wants it to be, that's what it is. So it's hard. And so he leaves that, that beautiful, uh, oh my God, that ball of joy that must be wherever he lives. Yeah, I know. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, just saw comics do that. Like when celebrities sometimes will drop into flappers, yeah. for example, they'll just be like, "Oh, this isn't the best yeah. crowd." This sucks. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like, why, why are you telling something? us that we suck? We're the ones that are here. That's the other thing. When you t- tell a crowd that they're not big or there's not enough of them, they're the ones that are there. Yeah. Why are you mad at them? It's yeah. not their fault that they're 15 people. I know. They would much rather be way more people. They did everything they could. They put on <laughs> pants. They got in their car. They drove. They that parked. Is funny. They paid a bunch of money for drinks to sit there and watch you work. And you're yelling at them for not being more fucking people? You can't be more people. I can only be the one guy. <laughs> I just... Yeah, that that, that one funny. makes me crazy. You're yelling at the people... Because you can't yell at the space, the yeah. empty spaces. Yeah, it, I mean, if you're really angry, just go around to the houses and the apartments around there where people are sitting in their homes not watching you and get mad at them. That's so true. Because they're the assholes that didn't show. I know. Don't get mad at the people that did show. You're mad at the empty seats, but you're yeah. yelling at the audience. What is that about? That's yeah. so funny. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. That's so true. Um, but, yeah, so how did you... You've been doing comedy for a while now, yeah. and you got into it when you were 18. How did that happen? Well, it was the day I graduated from high school. Uh, was the, my first open mic, and um, it was just at this bar in Billings, Montana. And it was a general open mic. It was music or whatever you wanted it to be. Yeah. So uh, I did that, and then every Tuesday I would do that for a couple of months. And then I thought I was the funniest guy in the world. So I originally moved to Chicago, and this is 1989 that I moved to Chicago. At the time in Chicago, my memory, and I could be wrong about this, but my memory was that there was 14 working comedy clubs in Chicago and the uh, outlying areas. Wow. Isn't that amazing? They were, yeah. At the time, there were 14, and they were all on their way out. Like, they, they, this was the end of the boom of the 80s. When was that boom? It was the end of the 80s. Uh, the, there all... was a big boom in the 80s where comedy was all over TV throughout the mid-80s, and all these stand-ups were getting shows and everything. Um, and so, you know, comedy clubs just started opening up everywhere. And so I think Rosemont, which is a, uh, a suburb of Chicago, had three clubs. <laughs> it wow. was just a suburb. You know, it's crazy. So wow. it was a good time to move out there. And, um, you know, I, I remember the first open mic I went to, there was like 25 people on it. And I was by far the worst. I was like by far the worst comic on it. It was like I drove home crying, thinking, what am I doing here? What have I done? Uh, but, you know, I stuck with it. And 30 years later... <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I can do a joke. <laughs> so are, are, you're headlining and touring. Yeah, they, uh, I do. Um, I do a lot of Midwest stuff, and I still t- do a lot of uh, Pacific Northwest stuff. Um, I do just basically club comic. I'm, the thing about Augie Smith is that Augie Smith is great in a bad situation. You being Augie Smith, third <laughs> I am person. me being Augie Smith. Uh, Augie Smith is great in a bad situation. I, I, I'm. I am. Uh, I'm a very good comic, but I'm one of the best comics alive 
in a shitty situation, in a, in a bar where you don't charge a cover and there's just a couple people sitting around and they're, and they're paying attention to poker machines or pool or whatever. That's where I thrive. Wow. Because for my first 12 years in stand-up, that's what I did, is I went around and I did shitty, shitty bar gigs one after the other. And I would, you know, I would get some clubs and I would... Uh, I got really good at stand-up in about 97 is when I got really good at it. And so I was featuring a lot of clubs, and uh, honestly, I was I was destroying these headliners if they weren't really really good because I was such a strong act at the time. So then, lower budget clubs would start headlining me, and then in two thousand three, uh, I started doing the Bob and Tom Show, um, which is a syndicated radio show. And at the time, especially, it's still a very big deal. It's still one hundred and eighty markets or something like that. Uh, but at the time, it was really known for opening up uh, comics careers. And they were just starting to do these uh, theater shows, these touring theater shows with like their favorite comics. So I had a very, very good first Bob and Tom where they still play like segments of that. And so I got to start doing theaters because of that. And my club rate went way up and all these people started hiring me basically from that show. Like no kidding. And so uh, I moved to New York. I did uh, Live at Gotham when that was... um, that was a Comedy Central thing at the time. They still do it on like Axis TV right, or something. Right, they still do it on Axis, yeah. And yeah, I started to make some money. It was exciting. I'd never made, I'd never had a bank account before. <laughs> and that, that's amazing. I, I remember, uh, yeah, and so all of a sudden I was uh, closing really good shows. Um, I spent nine weeks in a row uh, in a theater gigs with uh, Brabiglia and uh, Greg Warren and Mike McRae and Henry Phillips, the five of us, went around. We did nine, in like these beautiful theaters and stuff. And it was just a whole new view of stand-up for me. It's wow. like, wow, sometimes people actually get dressed up and <laughs> come out <laughs> and pay money to go shows. sit in a theater. Yeah, yeah. How, how big were these theaters? Oh, the, the big, I remember the biggest one we did... Um, in Wisconsin, we sold out one that was about uh, twenty eight hundred seats. Yeah, so it was all these all these midwestern towns. They have the theaters that were built in like nineteen twenty. Yeah, and it's you go in there, and it's funny because it, like the list of people that had worked there, you know, were like George Burns and uh, all these crazy people he didn't even know did live shows. Um, so, uh, the, yeah, so most of them most of them were about a thousand to fifteen hundred, but there were some bigger ones. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I was just so hardened. Uh, you know, that's the thing is, like, still today, I'm glad that I had the experience of doing so many shitty gigs for so many years because <laughs> nothing phases me anymore. I, there, I got, it, there, there was a while there where I didn't do that well if nothing went wrong because <laughs> I, I was all ready to, to handle something, for something for to happen. somebody to yell something out or something to break or whatever. And then when nothing went wrong, I was like, oh, yes, I just got to do jokes now. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, it's such a fun career. Doing those big shows sounds so much fun. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's still it's still probably that's probably. And the thing about it is you're a young man. So I'm going to tell you something. You'd never appreciate how cool it is to be young in this business. I spent the 1990s afraid all the time of what if I don't work? What if my car breaks down? What if, what if, what if, all this stuff that, you know, that might happen. And, I mean, I was having a great time, but I wasn't really appreciating how cool it was to be this young traveling artist that, 
I mean, there were. The, I, I went. There was one point in my life. I went six months without a house, where I just was driving around from gig to gig, and wow. it was great. And you know, and I never appreciated it. I never appreciated how cool it was. And now I look back on it, it was like, wow, that was pretty cool. Like, it was a cool life that I lived. Because you didn't have that many things like holding you down. No, I had no responsibilities. I mean, there was a couple, uh, couple years in there where I had girlfriends, but yeah, I, n- I never had kids at that point. And um, you know, my mom was taking care of herself and everybody. Yeah, so it was just me and stand up, and that's all I was. And that's the thing about this job. Um, it's different now. I will give you that. But one thing that hasn't changed in it is that it's so hard. I believe when you're starting, it can be the only thing in your life. I, I honestly, like if I were to meet a young man with a family and kids, I, I don't know how they could do this. I know that people have, but it's so difficult and it takes up so much of yourself that I couldn't have given myself um, any any serious part of myself to a woman, certainly not to children, at that point in my life. It, I just I was a comic, and then that's all I was, for you know for twenty years of my life. That would have been the first thing and last thing that you said about me. Wow, was <laughs> that he was a comic? That's yeah. what it seems like a lot of the great comedians did, like even like Steve Martin and stuff like yeah. that. I'm reading his book right now. Oh yeah, born standing up. Uh-huh. Oh, it's great. Uh, the uh, the audio he reads it. Oh, he does. And you get so much more out of it because he does bits. He does some of his bits in it. Oh, that's and great. It's, it's, they're they're still hilarious. I mean, he was just so ahead of his time in his writing, and his whole stand up career was only twelve years. I you know, know, it was very I mean, short. That, it was just it was very quick. He reached the top that anybody had ever reached before. Nobody had ever done that. He was like, all right, I'm done now. You know, yeah, because he was selling out what what, what twenty five thousand seat arenas, Jesus. which I don't even know. I don't, how can you even have an experience with people in, in something that I know? Big? And there's so many, yeah, in some, just such a baffling, big, big, yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about is uh, your experience with Big Sky. Mm-hmm. I think that's so cool that you. What is what's your? Inv- I know that you're a big part of the festival, but I don't really. Okay, so uh, Big Sky role. Comedy Festival, we, uh, we started it eight years ago. Eight years ago. Wow, yeah, we had our eighth one this year. Um, it's the second week of October every year, and it takes place in Billings, Montana. And it is ostensibly a comedy competition. Uh, there's a, it's, it's a three-night competition, uh, qualifying Thursday, Friday, and then a finals at a big theater show Saturday night. Um, so... Lucas Seeley started it uh, with a guy in Billings that was a friend of his named Wayne Wilcox. And Wayne is just like a real estate guy. Like, he had, he had no experience in stand-up at all. And Lucas was just a comic that's a go-getter. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a worker, man. You know, he just, he has a love of the art and he has a love of the business, too. So they started this thing and his idea was, I'm, I was raised in Billings so we would have two teams of comics. It would be Team Augie and Team Seeley uh, that would be like sort of going up against each other. But everybody's really sort of competing for themselves anyway. It's more of a marketing thing. Uh, the exciting thing is that we're going to change that next year where there's going to be a real team aspect to it. Oh, really? Where you're leaning on the other comics on your team. Like there's going to be a, a group score. And you pick the teams? Was this like fantasy? We do. We do comedians? a draft. Like there's... Um, uh, people submit, and we're up to the point where we're getting like a thousand submissions now. And so Jeez. people submit, and we only have room for twenty. Uh, what is it? Twenty four, twenty eight people. 
26, 26 people. So it's a 2%, 2.5% That's acceptance the thing about rate. these. Uh, I, so I, I still watch uh, some of the submissions every year. And it's some great comics that we just have to say no to because there's a thousand people. And you have to just, like, a lot of these people, I know them and I know their sets. And so I, I've seen them in action. I know what they can do. And maybe the link you're sending out. We used to call them a tape back in the day because they actually were. Yeah. I used to actually send big VCR tapes to clubs. Like, no kidding. Yeah. They, like, they, you'd have to, okay, here's the way it would work. <laughs> you'd have to hire a guy for like $300, like $319.90 something dollars to tape you because nobody had a camera. Who would have a camera? Uh, then you'd get that tape and then you'd have to find somebody that had a double-headed VCR. <laughs> Oh so you could make God. tapes off of that tape, and then you would have to go to the post office with these big, thick envelopes filled with these VCR tapes that you'd have to send out. To be, anyway, ridiculous. And now you send a link. Anyway, so uh, I watch these tapes, and yeah, we got to say no to great comics all the time. Uh, because, And here's the other thing about a comedy festival is it can't just be the 24, 26 best people uh, because... We also want to have a mix of male-female. We want to have different races. And, uh, uh, and uh, we, you, want, you want gay and straight. I just don't want, I don't want to... Nobody wants a festival just full of straight white guys. And I have no problem with that. I know that a lot of guys my age, they get upset about that. No, I don't get upset about that at all. I think it's wonderful that we have diversity in this job now, finally. And that women hopefully can speak up without having to be afraid all the time now. I, I mean, I've had so many things in this job, my eyes have been open to them. Um, just because for years, you know, I've worked uh, with female stand-ups. And it always occurred to me, it's like, wow, this seems like a really dangerous goddamn thing to do. Because uh, I've been scared a million times as a guy leaving a bar at midnight with a pocket full of cash from the gig and then driving back to... Uh, a lot of times, not a great hotel. Or sometimes they put you in a condo and you're staying with a stranger. And I imagine if I was a woman in that situation, you'd be fucking terrified. You'd be terrified all yeah, the time. Wow. And then it isn't like the men in this job, the men that own the clubs and stuff, made them feel any better about it. You hear a million stories about just like creepy guys now. And so uh, I don't know how we got off on this. Except that I'm glad, I'm glad that part of the business, at least there's a light shown on it now. Yeah. That at least now uh, we're trying to get better anyway. At least, I mean, I, you know, I've realized from talking to people like Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin uh, about their experiences over the years, about stuff that you never think about. About how if they would go into a club and there was a, there was a handsy dude that ran the club, well, they'd never want to go back to that club again. So there's a club they just can't go to because there's a creep that works there, you know? I, I never had to deal with that. Yeah. Never had to deal with that. It's just another life. dimension of yeah. things that, like, we can't relate to. Right. Uh, oh, and so anyway, so then picking people for the festival. So you so you, you want diversity, you want all that. So it's tough. I mean, it's tough. It's, it's, it's not easy to get into these things, especially now that, like, when I started, there were probably a couple thousand comics in the country. Like, no kidding. There were, there was, I knew everybody. <laughs> And now I do shows in LA where there'll be 15 people on it, and I've never met any of them. There's so many. Yeah, comics. there's so many comics. There's just so many comics. Yeah. Wow. 
So what goes into running a festival like Big Sky? Well, so from my end, uh, I have it very easy where I don't have to do a lot of work up front. Um, because at Big Sky, the way that we do it, it's a lot about camaraderie. So we have events scheduled every day. The other thing we do is we put you up. You have to share a room, but we put you up and we feed you. Like I did, I've done some of these festivals where there's no room and there's and like you end up once you fly there and you put yourself up, you're like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars in, you know, for a week in whatever Atlanta yeah. or wherever you happen to be, and all you get out of it is a couple of shows that you do in front of industry. And it's like, yeah, I could have done that in L.A. You know this. So you have to get yourself there, which is expensive to get to Montana, I'll give you that. But we put you up, we feed you, and we do events and uh, activities every day. Like this year, we went to an axe-throwing place, and we have writing sessions uh, where we write jokes. Um, in the past, when we first started it, we used to go to a gun range. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> it's Montana, and we thought, well, yeah, you know, we, huh. we shoot guns. Bringing here. a bunch of comedians to a gun range <laughs> yeah. strikes me. So we, and it's amazing <laughs> to watch people after they fired a weapon now, because I, you know, I grew up in Montana, and so yeah, I used to fire guns when I was a kid, when I was uh, go to ranches and outdoor stuff. And I'm not, I'm neither here nor there on it. I don't dislike guns. I don't like guns. Yeah, I don't yeah, own yeah. a gun, but I have no problem if you do. Yeah, it's just yeah, not yeah. that big of a deal to me. Um, but people have a, a, a guttural reaction to it. Like, there would be people that never fired a gun. You'd leave there, and we're in the van driving away, and some of them would be, like, totally into it. And sometimes there'd be people physically crying, like, just the power of it and just really? the noise of it and realizing what it is. Wow. And, yeah, so that was a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, but so we do these activities, and it's all designed to sort of bring people together. Uh, we have them come in on Tuesday because on Tuesday we do shows, and then on Wednesday we do shows. Uh, but no, those aren't uh, related to the competition. We try not to have the judges see you until Thursday night because then we, the industry comes in. And the other thing we do at Big Sky is we mix you in with the industry. Every night there's going to be an after party. They're going to be there. You're going to be talking to them. You're going to be hanging out with them. It's not we're not going to keep them away from you. And so that's that's what I think makes Big Sky different is that it's designed as sort of a comedy camp, you know, like where you just spend a week just thinking about this thing and being around the people that do this thing and book this thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of what we've done. That's exciting. How did you guys manage to bring all these industry people to the to Montana? That's the thing is that Lucas, uh, he just knows people. <laughs> so, really? so the first year, I mean, you know, we put out some feel, and yeah, the industry it was okay, but it wasn't that great. I mean, we had some one nighter bookers and stuff like that, and then a couple years into it, uh, we got you know the people that book Conan and the Tonight Show, and uh, all these people showing up. I mean, and now every year. Uh, we still have uh, all kinds of agents, the people that book other festivals show up. It's it's legit industry every year now. And that's exciting. That I'm proud so of it just that. built a name for itself over time. Yeah, and because we give them a good time too. You know, it's a party for them. Uh, we just tell them it's like, you know, for the show, it, it's a gig. Because have you ever judged a comedy competition? No. Dude, it's the hardest job in the world. I've been every part of a comedy festival and every part of a comedy competition. And the worst part of it is judging. I would never 
want that gig ever. I would I would take the gig working behind the bar. That's <laughs> so take... tough. It's apples to oranges. And also, you know these people. So and so you'll watch them, and they'll have a subpar set, but you're like, I know they're better than that. How do I not factor that in? I know. Or you go in, and the other thing is, some, there's some people I just don't like. I try to like everybody in this job, but that's impossible. There's some people I just don't like, and then they go up and kill. And so well, I got to put everything I know about them on hold, and I got. That's hard. I got Yeah, I know that for like, um, at least this kind of this is unrelated, but for like sketch submissions for like people auditioning for these like sketch comedy teams, mm-hmm. they'll take the packets and they'll read them blindly. They won't look look at the names. Right. But you can't anonymously hear someone set when it fundamentally they're yeah. identified by how right. they are. And so many people's acts now, because stand-up comedy has been going on for so long and every joke has been done, uh, is that so many people's acts are so personal now. So many people's acts are about who they are. It's like so about who that what their past is and everything. And so how could you... You can't, you can't be anonymous. It has to be. You have to know this person now doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, what kind of advice would you give people that, that want to get into the Big Sky Festival? Okay, here's the deal about your about your tape, man. It's got to be good. This is the thing. <laughs> Even if you're funny, uh, it's got to be a, a quality tape where the crowd is into it. And you got to be, I'm, I'm sorry, you got to be killing, okay? I can see when a joke is funny or not, but if you send me a tape of the crowd just giving it a lukewarm response, I'll think to myself, well, maybe I think that's funny, but maybe it's just not all that funny, and I'm just the only guy that appreciates it. But when I watch a joke kill, I think, oh, okay, yeah, I, I get it now. So that's the thing, and I know how hard that is. And like, you have the perfect set, and there's just never a camera running, but luckily, this new generation understands, tape it all the time, tape everything you're doing, there's no reason not to. You have the there's some knowledge of the universe in your phone in your pocket uh, that has a more a more taping capability than I ever had for the first 15 years of my career, and you can do it for free. So why not tape it? So true. So when you said yeah, so that's the thing is, make it a good tape. And if and if somebody asks for a five minute tape, send them a five minute tape or something close to that. Don't send out a 19 minute tape when they ask for a five minute tape. Just don't do it. And some of these submissions. One guy sent in a music video that he had shot of him doing a parody. Like, what? That's not. Why are you sending this? <laughs> what are you <laughs> that's doing? That's not. And you what know, you're doing. And then there's some people that are brand new, and I don't blame them. But it's like in their kitchen or one that I've seen them from like birthday parties and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's not gonna do. I'm gonna need to see you on a regular stage. Yeah. So as far as that, yeah, it's that's. I mean, it sounds like simple advice, but it's got it. Don't waste your time. If so it's five not or a good ten line. minutes, whatever it is, but yeah. like killing the whole right. time. And most places are going to ask you uh, for three to five minutes of a tape. And I know that that's a tough tape to get. But send them what they want. Don't send them what they don't want. Because immediately you get mad about it. Like, who is this asshole? <laughs> yeah. What am I supposed it's to like watch the entire it. 12 minutes? Yeah. So. Cool. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug for yourself? Oh, me? No, I'm just a uh, road comic. Uh, I got nothing. Uh, I've been trying to make a CD for like uh, four years. Where are you performing <laughs> next? When does this come out? Uh, probably next week. Oh, probably next week? Okay, uh, where am I going? I'm going to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, I'm going to Dubuque, 
You can catch me in Dubuque coming cool. up very soon. Dubuque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Penguins in Cedar Rapids. And uh, uh, I, I got a, my website's pretty easy. It's augiesmith.com, two Gs. Sweet. So you can keep up on what I'm doing there. Cool. Well, thanks, Augie. Appreciate it, man. All right, Austin. Thanks. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it on social media with your friends. Uh, my handle's at Working Comic Podcast, and my personal handle's at Austin Nasso. If you want to follow me, please do that. Show your support for the show. And roughly two to three times a month, I'm going to be interviewing more up-and-coming comics, festival runners, producers, writers, uh, people working in all facets of comedy and entertainment to help you all jumpstart your career and figure out what you want to do and how you can do it. So tune in and thanks.